All right, well, we are in our fourth and final week of a series that we've been uh, journeying through in the month of August called Answering the Call that really is all about simplifying this mystery of living a life called by God. Uh, we've been journeying through this month discovering uh, the calling that God has on each of us, but we know that uh, inevitably there are going to be questions. So we devoted this fourth and final week simply to fielding the questions that people have. So Mike and I decided that we would do this uh, together in kind of a Q&A format. The truth of the matter, frankly, is that neither of us trusted each other enough to handle this alone. So we're going to try to tackle this together. But before we do, um, let's just, for everyone who may have missed a week or two, because uh, it's summer, Let's uh, just summarize the first three weeks that have got us here, and you can just react to the kind of main points of each. Uh, on week one, Mike, we learned that every believer has a calling of God on their lives. I know what a, I mean, what a remarkable thought that is, that God has called, the language you used in the first week was priests, that the era of needing special people with certain calls to, to be the mediators between people and God, that that era is gone and that every single person gathered at all three of our locations are priests who have been called and equipped by God to mediate the presence of God into the world and to mediate or to bring the world into the presence of God. Mm. It's just an awesome thought. Mm. So launching, launching us into that conversation then we learned in week two that the bulk of the calling that God has on the lives of believers actually isn't so much about doing things, but more about being more like Jesus. Yeah, I think we, we tend to leapfrog over in, in our eagerness, nobly, I think, in our eagerness to, to live into what it is that God's called us to. I think oftentimes we leapfrog over the reality that before we can do what God has called us to do, we have to be on the journey to becoming what God has created us to be in the image of Jesus Christ. Yeah, I found that a significant morning thinking of the very seemingly ordinary things that God calls us to, you know, calling us to fight for our marriages and calling us to tell the truth. And I, I hope that everyone who experienced that morning sensed that those ordinary things actually have a far greater significance and even sacredness because we're called by God to be those kind of people. And not perfectly. You don't have to have all of that squared away before, but to, to, to have that be the highest priority of, of following yeah, Jesus. Of yeah, that, of that journey. So then last week, uh, you got into the idea that beyond being called commonly to be more like Jesus, each of us individually does have a unique calling to make a unique and dis distinct contribution on God's behalf in the world. Yeah, that God has created uh, every one of us to do, to make a contribution to his kingdom and a contribution to the healing and restoration of the world and to the people in it uh, that nobody else has created to make, that, that he has called us and equipped us and filled us, that he's given you everything you need to, to be the person and to make the difference that he's called you to make. Mm. Okay, so with that backdrop, we're going to dive into now the questions, and that's kind of a good segue because it, uh, a lot of the questions you know that we received had to do with that, that third week. I'm not sure if it was a function of the lack of clarity on the preacher's behalf. I, I, I'm not exactly c convinced as to why, but uh, a lot of the questions that we received had to do 
with that idea of determining your unique calling. And, and really, I think that's where people find a lot of the mystery in, in all of this and, and are seeking some clarity. So just as an, as an opening, why do people find this part of dis- determining your call so difficult? I think, um, and I don't know who, who did, whether we as preachers did this to people or whether we do this to ourselves or, I don't know where it comes from, but I feel like um, a lot of us live with this paradigm that when God calls you into something in life, it's like this massive Damascus Road experience, right? There's this story in the Bible of the apostle Paul who up until that time had been killing Christians and he's riding down the road to Damascus on his horse and, and he sees a vision of Jesus and Jesus smacks him off the horse and says, stop it, from now on you're a missionary. And then Paul, like the, Paul spends the whole rest of his life being a missionary. And this, there's this idea that when you get called by God, it's this heavens open, struck by lightning, crystal clear, here it is, the vision of what you're going to do the rest of your life. And I just don't think most of the time God calls people like that. Yeah, yeah. We, we, in, in those kind of Damascus Road examples, I think we assume that the calling of God is instantaneous yep. and generally, virtually audible and therefore unmistakable. And because it's more mysterious to most of us, we think that we're getting it wrong. Yeah. And because the truth of the matter is, it's often not instantaneous. It's often a lifetime journey of discovery. And actually, I'm not even sure that most of the time God calls us to a thing. I think God calls us to a series of things, one calling after another. And and our lifetime is spent just pursuing one call after the next, after the next. And you kind of keep growing into where God is leading. And it takes a long time. You look at stories in the Bible like Joseph, who took 13 years to realize the call that God put on his life. A guy like Moses in the book of Exodus, it was 40 years uh, before he was actually being the person God had called him to be. And because of that, um, callings change. I know we might not want to hear that because it's hard enough to figure out our calling these days, but but callings do kind of morph and and change in that lifelong journey. But it should be, that should be liberating. Because you don't then you don't have to f- answer this massive question of what you're going to do with the rest of your life. You just have to answer the question of what you're going to do next. And uh, and the other thing that you and I have talked about is that it there is the, an element of uncertainty in the sense that I don't know that anybody can ever say this is exactly where God's called me to be. I know for mm-hmm. sure. I th- I mean I had said last week I talked about waking up and thinking my goodness I think I'm exactly where God has called me to be. And there is a sense of confidence, but that sentence starts with, I think. Yeah. With some sense of, as far as I can tell, this is it for now. Yeah. And you'd never necessarily be totally sure. And it's that absolute guaranteed certainty that I think we're we're searching for sometimes that we don't necessarily we don't necessarily need. So let's uh, let's just review some of the factors that you walked us through last week in determining your call because we got a lot of questions a- along those lines the the first of the factors was what you described as passion mm-hmm. something that uh, excites you something that gets you out of bed in the morning something you can't shut up about you're just you're constantly talking and thinking about it um, w- one of the questions was worded this way they said is it possible to feel uncomfortable or not quite at ease with a calling, and maybe that's why it wasn't right for you. I, i.e., you know, if I'm not feeling it, is it not a calling? Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily come to that conclusion. It's possible that the reason 
that a person would be feeling uncomfortable with where they're at in terms of, is this what God wants me to be doing with my life, uh, is because they're in the wrong place. That's one possible explanation, but there are a couple other ones that I think are worth considering. Um, I think when we're in a place, go back two Sundays, about being what God has created us to be in the image of Jesus. When you're in a place where God is molding and shaping your character, that's often a very uncomfortable place to be. That doesn't feel Feel very nice. Yeah, Yeah, the the book of Hebrews says that no discipline is pleasant at the time. It's painful. Mm. And when God is shaping our character, that often includes pain, the pain of discipline. Mm. And that could be a part of it. Or um, if you think about, you know, it's interesting on the one hand that I use the word passion because Jesus' passion, quote unquote, was his death on the cross, right? The passion of the Christ was to suffer and to die. And you think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is sweating drops of blood on a verge of a nervous breakdown, basically, begging God to not make him do it. And yet he knows in his spirit with conviction that this is what God has called him to do. And so, again, back to Hebrews, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, that he anticipated the joy that would be his knowing that he'd been used by God to bring the kingdom. He went ahead, even though... His prayer was, please don't make me do this. Yeah, and the obedience to be faithful to that calling wasn't necessarily a warm, fuzzy feeling. Right. Well, so to say it this way, your fee- your feelings are not always the same as your passion. Yeah. Those aren't always necessarily, and maybe even conviction is a more helpful or clarifying word. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting idea because... I think sometimes when we interact with people who are trying to discern their call, they're clearer on what they don't want to do. Mm. And I think it's helpful for us to understand there's a difference between being called from something and being yeah. called to something. I think um, oftentimes those feelings of unsettledness can be God's way of, of uprooting us from a place where we're at, of kind of signaling that a change is coming. Mm. But I think you have to be careful that when you, when you step out of a place that is starting to feel less than settled and you discern it's time God's calling you to move into something new, to not just immediately assume that the first thing that you feel excited about is what God is calling you to, right? right? It's almost like a rebound calling, yeah. right? I just <laughs> broke up with my last calling, so I'll, I'll accept any calling at this point. And you have to go back to zero and start the discernment process all over again with passions and revelation and the yeah. community and so on. Uh, well, that gets us into the second idea, this idea of revelation, that in addition to our passion, um, trying to listen to the voice of God, that God actually wants to speak into the lives of believers to direct our, our callings. And obviously, this is where a lot of the mystery kind of emerges. Uh, one of the questions that we received uh, was worded this way. Uh, my question for the series would be, how do I discern if it is a calling by God to do something rather than just an idea that I've created? kind of the the idea of, I I might be feeling it, but are these feelings actually from God? How do I know? Mm -hmm. There's probably a couple of things I'd say. There's a verse in Psalm 37 that says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. He'll, He'll plant, and I would think clarify the desires that we feel in our spirit. And the secret to to experiencing that is delighting yourself in the Lord. The word actually literally means taking pleasure in, enjoying uh, a relationship with, falling in love with, right? And the more you press into and the more you fall in love with God, the more you can be sure that his desires are the ones that are 
bubbling right. inside the more, of the you. The more you can trust that those desires you're feeling actually are coming from him. Right. Right. We talked about my passions, God's priorities, and the world's problems. Mm. The more I'm aligning my heart with God's, the more my priorities are his priorities, and then my desires are his desires. And yeah, yeah. Um, other things that we can do to try to dissociate what I might be feeling versus what God's feeling. Yeah, uh, to me, the other big thing to say in First Thessalonians, Paul says, don't quench the spirit and don't despise prophecy. In other words, expect that God is going to be speaking to you. But then he says, test everything and hang on to the good and get rid of the bad. The idea is that there is always going to be some kind of mixture in what we think God has said of good and bad, and we have to sift through what's God's and what's not. And the way we do that, Paul's writing that to a community. I think what Paul's saying is do that together. I don't think anyone can say, God told me X. I think the best we can say is it seems to me that God might be saying X. What do you think? Yeah, I'm getting the sense that God's saying X. What, what do you guys and yeah. think? Would that right? make sense to you that God was saying that to yeah. you? Yeah, and we didn't, we didn't get a lot of questions <laughs> about this third variable, the variable of community, but yeah. I just want to make the point that in, in especially in trying to discern the voice of God in each other's lives, this is an extraordinarily significant component. Oh, I, th- I would argue the significant component, but that yeah. also might just be my experience yeah. talking. <laughs> um, criteria number four that you introduced was assessing the opportunity and kind of, um, you know, observing the, the doors, the circumstantial doors that are being open and closed to you. Uh, that stimulated somebody to send this question in, and you can hear their heart in it. They said, what happens when you discern your passion it's in line with God's call. Even circumstances in your life lead to it. And you've spoken and discerned that role within trusted community. So they're, they're doing all the, all the stuff. They said, and you go and make that final step through that door and it closes on you. Now what do you do? Yeah. And those are frustrating situations because as the four criteria more and more of them line up you you begin to feel that momentum of I think this is really going to happen and then when the door closes it can be really really painful Um, and that's why one of the reasons why I said last week all four of the criteria have to line up in order for you to be able to judge that this is a calling by God I my grandfather spent his life as a frustrated pastor he wanted nothing else to pastor a church but he spent his whole life as a farmer and a GM worker and The opportunity never came. God never had that call for him. So what I would say about a situation like that is there is a reason why you had that experience and the door closed. Hmm. And you have to begin to assess what is the reason that God would have me go through that process. So to me, one possibility, I liken it to to dating, right? Before I was uh, proposing to Krista, I had a number of relationships over the course of the years. I will spare you the number. But... uh, but every one of those, sir, I was attracted to the person. I had a sense that God would be behind the relationship. I had friends and family who were saying, you guys make a great couple. And then the relationship doesn't work out. And, you, and you, there's this frustration. I thought this was, you know, where this was going to go. And, and, uh, and now as I look back, there's two things that I see. I'm in a better situation with Krista than any of those situations would have been for me, that God was... Um, continually moving me towards the bullseye and that in every one of those situations I was learning something about learning something that helped to clarify uh, 
the relationship that I was ultimately looking for. And I think in these kinds of situations, God is using those to move us towards the goal and to help us continue to gain information and discern what, what would be even more to the bullseye than the opportunity I just lost. Hmm. Again, the emphasis being this call determination process is just that. It's a, it's a lifelong yeah. journey. It has phases and turns and twists because ultimately God's directing it and it works in a lot of ways very differently than what we would yeah, prefer. Absolutely. Um, let's shift gears because what we haven't talked about yet in this series is the other side of answering the call, the answering part, the implementing the call that you're in the process of determining. And, and I think that um, not only did we receive some questions along this line, but uh, we need to appreciate that this is equally as complicated as figuring out the yeah. call, going and, and living it out. And for starters, I want you to comment on the, the reality that callings from the Bible's perspective um, as much as we're kind of making them about discerning our calling, callings aren't about us at all. No. Um, well, I wouldn't say at all. C.S. Lewis once wrote about worship. He said, worship is at one and the same time the most selfish thing a person can do and the most selfless thing mm -hmm. a person can do. It's selfless because worship is all about ascribing worth to, to God, to someone who isn't you. Uh, but it's selfish because it's exactly what we were created to do with our lives. And so when you're doing it, you are be, being the fullness of what you were created to be. Mm. And I think callings are, are really similar, that, that there is a certain sense of self-actualization, a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction that comes with feeling like you're in the sweet spot of what God has called you to do. But when you're in the sweet spot, your calling is utterly not about you. It is about loving God enough to be a channel that he uses to love other people in the world so that his kingdom can come through you into everybody else. That's the If to the degree that you're calling, you're making your calling all about you, you haven't quite totally grasp the heart of what a calling really is. Yeah, I, I, I like when people are able to dissociate, just even in their language, the difference between trying to determine God's call on their life versus trying to figure out my calling. Yeah, There's almost a possessiveness there that centers the calling around you, and that's not the way that a God-centered, others-oriented life of faith is really intended to work. Yeah. Um, an, another misnomer about callings is that they're not necessarily always spectacular and grandiose in scale. And uh, someone asked us about this. Uh, a question submitted said, is it normal to want, quote unquote, big callings to worry that God will call us to something inconsequential? Yeah, I think we... In the way that we talk about call, and even me using my own story last week, can communicate that being called by God is, is to be called into something big and massive and grand and, and so on. And that is profoundly unhelpful because that's profoundly untrue. Um, when Paul talks about the church, he said the church is kind of like a body that has a whole lot of different body parts. And not all of the body parts are public and prominent uh, the way other ones are. You know, some are like a big honking nose in the middle of the face and you just can't miss the nose. But, but there are other body parts that are more hidden and uh, that are covered up, even invisible, like a kidney. But a kidney is far more essential to the functioning of the body than a nose is. Um, 
the, that prominence and significance are not the same thing. Bigness and, and significance are not the same thing. And so I think what we need to learn to do as a, as a church is do what Paul says, which is honor the parts that are hidden. Because in a lot of ways, those are the more significant parts and tasks and roles than the ones that are up front and public and that everybody can see. There is no such thing as an inconsequential calling. Yeah, which is why it's so important then to be faithful to fulfill the calling of God on your life, not the way you see other people fulfilling yeah. the call of God on theirs. To aspire to some big calling or something like that. Yeah, we... Um, we talk about sometimes um, just being faithful with what's in front of you. You've kind of alluded to that already. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Jesus tells this story about the, a master who gives all of his servants money, and he says, I want you to invest this money and, and do something profitable with it for me. And uh, the servants go, and, and there are a couple of good servants who go, and they do that, and they multiply the money they've been given. And the master comes back, and he says, good for you, you know, you... You multiplied the money 10 times. Now I'm going to put you in charge of 10 cities. And the idea seems to be that if we are faithful with what we've been given, God opens the door for more opportunity to step into uh, another level of calling where I guarantee you if the servants in the story had been spending all of their time plotting and scheming about how to be put in charge of 10 cities, they wouldn't have been faithful with what they've been given and the whole thing would have backfired on yeah them. yeah and and I mean uh, for those of us watching a lot of a lot of people that are in our offices trying to figure out how to live out their calling um, I find a lot of times we're advising them listen be faithful with what is right in front of you as opposed to aspiring to that 10 cities scale of responsibility because that's not how God opens doors for people to have 10 cities scale yeah. kinds of responsibility. Well, so, and the other thing in that story is that not everybody ended up with 10 cities. Yeah. Some people who were equally faithful ended up with five cities because yeah. that was the kind of calling that they had. And um, yeah. there's that, Romans says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Just, mm. just think of yourself in proportion to how God has made you to be. Yeah, because prominence and significance yeah. are, are different. Uh, another thing we haven't talked much about is the reality that every believer not just called by God, but is called by God to be part of what God's doing collectively as a church. And we talk a lot in an environment like this that the church, you know, the family of God, the body of Christ, as you've already alluded to, the church is God's plan A in the world, and God doesn't have a plan B. So how do you incorporate that reality that we're all commonly called to be part of what God's doing as a church with those individual uniquenesses of what God's calling each of us to personally. How do you reconcile all that? Yeah, the tension is we're called, to some degree, we're called individually or personally, but we belong to each other corporately, right? I think the New Testament would say you can't be a Christian without the church unless you're deeply embedded in a body of faith. So how do you reconcile that? And in a sense, it's like the attention in a in a marriage you know imagine a couple comes into some amount of money and uh, the husband wants to go traveling and the wife wants to invest it in you know retirement or something you you have completely different ideas about what the next step is for you and that can create tension um, until you remember that actually your higher calling is to be a couple 
it's not, the most important thing is not what happens to the money. The most important thing is what happens to your marriage. Yeah. And so when you make your, the marriage your top priority, that get, creates the context that allows you to negotiate the divergent views of what it is that should happen. And I think it's the same with the church, that the church as a whole, we feel like we have a calling. There are things that God has called our community to do, anchor causes and so on. Um, and not everybody's individual calling is going to somehow be directly in line with that. And so how do we negotiate what people are called to do with what we together are called to do? And I think the first answer is to remember that unity is the highest goal, that it's yeah. the relationship that matters the most. Yeah. Um, we, we got a question along these lines um, in from, from the perspective of ensuring that your personal calling and other people's calling, or even the church's calling, I suppose, at one level, um, don't compete. The, the question submitted was basically, what if others stand in the way of me living God's call? What would you say yeah, to that? I think, and I think sometimes people feel that about the church, that this church that I'm a part of is not helping me live my call. Or th There's a couple of things I would say. I mean, number one, it is, it's possible that probably oversimplistically, one of two things is true. The people who are standing your way in the way of your call are either acting on behalf of God, <laughs> in which case you have to consider why, why are they, if they are acting on behalf of God, why are they not facilitating my call? Mm. And maybe with a little bit of humility and a little bit of communal discernment, figure out why it is that those people aren't letting you move forward. So they're either acting on behalf of God or they're not. Yeah. In which case they may be, the enemy may be using them to attempt to stand in the way of your call. And if there's not a lot you can do directly, never forget the fact that you can always pray. The proverb says that the king's heart is in God's hands and he directs it like a river. That God can, God knows how to get you where he wants you to be. And if you lean in those moments into him in extreme ways, uh, I think he can make that negotiation. Yeah, I think one one thing just for starters as well would be to dissociate those two kinds of calling and yeah. to try to see them or, or to try to see a way to integrate them yeah. um, more than seeing one as competing with the other. There is a kind of corporate or we'll call it a collective calling that God has on our lives together as a church and uniquenesses hmm. among each of us. So you know, feedback just a little bit on trying to reconcile some of that. Well, in the spirit of mutual submission, to make the mutual agreement that you're not going to stand in each other's way, but you are going to humbly attempt to empower each other to do what each other feel like God has called you to do. Mm -hmm. So, And that can be in an interpersonal relationship or between the church and an individual or whatever, to be submissive to each other's calls and to try and empower each other. Yeah, yeah. I, I think when we're developing that posture... And that clarity that there are two dynamics or two dimensions to how we get called, we can see the divergences as less competitive and not feel like the church or as the question was submitted that other people who might be called to other things than what we're uniquely called to are getting in the way or aren't supporting the uniqueness of, yeah. our, of our calling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a cool example of what we feel like we've been talking about this morning um, involves a doctor... Uh, in our community, actually part of our Glenridge location, uh, named Fraser Mackay. Uh, Fraser has practiced medicine in the Niagara region 
uh, for a number of years, but in recent years, he was significantly affected by a trip to Malawi that his family took. And over time, since that trip, uh, God has been working in his life and in his his family's life to grow and realize uh, a calling on him and them that specifically for him has actually taken his career in a subtly but significantly different direction. And so to give you a bit of a picture of all of the things that we've been talking about this morning and throughout this month in this series called Answering the Call, we want you to enjoy this kind of snapshot of the life and the calling uh, of Dr. Fraser Mackay. Check this out. My name is Fraser Mackay and I'm a member of Access MD Healthcare Group. Uh, We're a group of physicians that provide medical services to the homeless, the drug addicted, the mentally ill that can't access care through the traditional pathways um, that are available to the rest of us. Well, I was introduced to medicine at a very young age. My father was a physician, my mother was a nurse. It was what we were. It was not uncommon for my father to bring us down and do rounds with us at the hospital in in Milton, Ontario, where I grew up. I saw what he was doing. I saw the impact that was being made. I saw the ability to to improve people's lives in a very concrete way. Um, It was something that I could relate to, and it's something I thought I could be good at. So the first half of my professional career was, was quite traditional. Um, I trained in primary care and emergency medicine. Uh, for the last 10 years, uh, prior to leaving emergency, I was chief of emergency at the Hotel Dew. Um, and again, it was my involvement there was out of a desire to improve access to care. A critical point in my career change was a result of the work that my wife and I did in Malawi, Africa in 1991. I went, I went very much expecting just to provide medical services. That's what I saw I was bringing to the table. That's what I was about. Um, but it was, it was quite apparent after a period of time that uh, as much as that was something that was of value, that there was more that could be done. But at the same time, there was a real sense of restlessness in my own life. I was really starting to question how much value I was really bringing to the, uh, to the picture here in, from a healthcare perspective, and whether or not the gifts that I had were being used in the most appropriate fashion. Something else that, that I was very acutely aware of uh, in working with this community was the fact that uh, here I was working with a, with a group that was much more actively engaged with the church than I was. Um, what I was, uh, became acutely sensitive to was the fact that I compartmentalized my faith. It was something else that I did that was part of me, but that wasn't central to me. Um, and there's no questions that, that as I worked uh, not, not just with the expatriate community, but also with the uh, Malawians specifically, that that faith was, was part of their core, that, and that was not something that I had. I would like to say that on coming back there was a dramatic shift, but there wasn't. It needed time. There's no question that as I've journeyed it along, um, uh, that there have been struggles. Um, 
Um, doctors are a little bit like cats. We're very difficult to herd and, uh, and get reaching common ground. But fortunately, I managed to connect with two other very strong members of our community, both of which are active at Southridge as well, um, to be part of this initiative. And uh, together, we've managed to uh, um, set up a network of clinics that really is making a tremendous difference in the lives of many. You know, at, at times, I feel that I've, that I've wandered. Um, I haven't had the focus. Uh, but when I reflected back on that, those are times when I haven't been actively reaching out for guidance and praying about it. When I've been most effective has been when I've been asking for that guidance. Uh, and uh, what I can say is that there's a lot more successes than there have been challenges over the last number of years. And there has been more time in prayer, there has been more time in community with other like-minded believers, and that has been a great source of support to me. Uh, it's been a great source of guidance at the same time. Uh, and I, I really do think that that is critical in, in uh, in finding your calling. All right, so we got a bit of a glimpse into kind of in a, in a practical example what this looks like. Uh, I'd just be interested, Mike, for you to uh, just respond, debrief this a little bit. What what do you love about that story, first of all, from the side of determining his calling? What, what did you like about Fraser's story? Well, Fraser's story, it seems to me that for Fraser and his, where he's at in life, that story has all of the pieces that we've been talking about. It has this lifelong journey of discovering a love for medicine and the kind of skill that allows him to do what he wants to do, but this um, narrowing passion specifically for providing access for those who don't have access that came over time as he was practicing medicine. It has the, the God piece of the way he was open to God meeting him in Malawi. Fraser talked about leaning into the guidance of the community and leaning into the guidance that comes from God in prayer. He talked about uh, basically creating um, the opportunity, seeing a need that nobody else sees and just stepping into and creating an opportunity where none existed. And I mean, this is the story of somebody who it feels to me has been really sensitive to God and the community and finding that. Hmm. I, I loved the comments that he made about how he felt um, more palpably the call of God and felt he was more sensitive and responsive to it the closer he was in his relationship to Christ. And again, that Psalm 37, 4, delighting himself in the Lord and then, you know, getting to experience and track with the desires of his heart that God was giving him. It's a really, really great example of that. Um, on the implementation side, what are the, some of the things that you'd want to highlight? Well, it's a neat story because it's some, the path of somebody who has chosen to not follow the stereotypical career path of upward mobility but has chosen downward mobility mm -hmm. and has, I'm sure, along the way paid the price and counted the costs and experienced the discomforts of making a career sacrifice uh, for the sake of 
what he felt God was calling him to do. I got an email this morning from somebody who said they're looking at a couple of lucrative positions but feel like those positions would draw them away from the call of God on their life. And it's that kind of mentality that says, I don't need to climb the ladder just because that's what culture says. I can, I can make the harder decision to pursue the calling of Christ, um, just whatever the cost. Yeah, back to the, the comment about just being faithful in what's entrusted to you yeah. now um, versus aspiring to the, the grandiose. Most callings... And you know, pay attention if you're if you're taking notes. Most callings involve some, if not a significant degree, of sacrifice. A calling, in a lot of ways, at a heart level, is the response to put something or something more or something else on the altar of God in being used to a greater degree by Him. Well, and the other neat thing about Fraser's story, knowing Fraser, knowing his place in our community, is the way that he has blended his individual call with what. God has called us to be about as a church. Just the way, I mean, his practice dovetails pretty nicely with our anchor cause at the Glenridge location. Um, and so we partnered together that way. But, but in addition, the way that Fraser has used his gifts and his passions and his call in what we're trying to do in ministries like Passport, the seminar we run in the fall to make people aware of global poverty and so on. Fraser's a, a heavy participant in that as a part of what he feels God's called him to do and be. Yeah. Um, gang, we thought that Fraser was uh, such a cool example uh, to share with you today because I remember back years ago we were at a conference and uh, there was a, a guy from Hawaii, a pastor from Hawaii named Wayne Cordero who kind of gave us this image of what a life lived, you know, following, answering your call is like. He said, you know, to, to change the world and to make the difference that he wanted to make, um, God sent missionaries, he called them, all over the place. But then he disguised them as doctors and as lawyers and as teachers and as construction workers and stay-at-home parents and, you know, on and on and on he went. And he said that it's actually in those disguises that God dreams that people would live out their calling to be those priests, to be those missionaries, to be those agents of change on his behalf in the world. And without that, Fraser is just a great example of you know, seemingly ordinary guy being now used in extraordinary ways by God because of his faithfulness, not only to follow Jesus more fully, but to be sensitive to and to respond to answer that call of God in his lives. And um, I hope that you know that, you know, our heart behind this series is that we could all be a little bit more like Fraser, that we could all realize that as followers of Jesus, God has a call on our lives, that as followers of Jesus, he's calling us to be more like him, and that Every single one of us, not just commonly called together in what we're doing as a church, but uniquely, individually, has the calling of God to be a difference maker in our lives. And it's just got us as we launch into this fall ministry season wondering, you know, what our lives would be like if we could be more faithful to the calling of God on them what our church would be like as we pool those callings together, and then what this lost and broken world around us would be like if more of us were being those priests, bringing the presence of God to others and bringing others into the presence of God. So I hope that you've enjoyed uh, this series and God's really spoken to you in encouraging and challenging ways. Mike, why don't you wrap things up by uh, saying a prayer for all of us that uh, we can be answering the call of God in our lives to a greater degree. Yeah, absolutely. Let's pray. Father, we are here in this room because we know a few things. We know 
that you are a God of love who created and loves this world and wants to see nothing more than your forgiveness and healing and transformation and uh, to see the world filled with reconciliation and joy and justice, God. And that's, that's your heart. And you want that for us as individuals and for the world. We know that you've created us and you love us and you've equipped us and you've empowered us and called us to be in the world everything that you've created us to be and to do for this world everything you've called us to do. And God, we, we're here because we know that we live in a world that is in desperate need, that is in desperate pain, that needs to experience your love flooding through this community um, and communities like it all over the world. And so God, I pray that starting now, we'd be on a journey of opening our lives to you and to each other and to the world um, that you might do something significant, not only in us, but through us for Jesus' sake. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen.